Section 19 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. John, Volume 3, by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 16, verses 16 to 24. Christ's absence, a sorrow to believers. Christ's second coming, a joy to believers. Duty of prayer in Christ's absence. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. John chapter 16, verses 16 to 24. A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father? They said therefore, What is this that he saith, A little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish, for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man shall taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Not all Christ's sayings were understood by his disciples. We are told this distinctly in the passage we have now read. What is this that he saith? We cannot tell what he saith. None ever spake so plainly as Jesus. None were so thoroughly accustomed to his style of teaching as the apostles, Yet even the apostles did not always take in their master's meaning. Surely we have no right to be surprised if we cannot interpret Christ's words. There are many depths in them which we have no line to fathom. But let us thank God that there are many sayings of our Lord recorded which no honest mind can fail to understand. Let us use diligently the light that we have, and no doubt that to him that hath more shall be given. We learn, for one thing, in these verses, that Christ's absence from the earth will be a time of sorrow to believers, but of joy to the world. It is written, Ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. To confine these words to the single point of Christ's approaching death and burial appears a narrow view of their meaning. Like many of our Lord's sayings on the last evening of his earthly ministry, they seem to extend over the whole period of time between his first and second advents. Christ's personal absence must needs be a sorrow to all true-hearted believers. The children of the bride-chamber cannot but fast when the bridegroom is taken from them. Faith is not sight. Hope is not certainty. Reading and hearing are not the same as beholding. Praying is not the same as speaking face to face. There is something, even in the hearts, of the most eminent saints, that will never be fully satisfied as long as they are on earth and Christ is in heaven. So long as they dwell in a body of corruption and see through a glass darkly, so long as they behold creation groaning under the power of sin, 
and all things not put under Christ, so long their happiness and peace must needs be incomplete. This is what St. Paul meant when he said, We ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Romans chapter 7, verse 23. Yet the same personal absence of Christ is no cause of sorrow to the children of this world. It was not to the unbelieving Jews, we may be sure. When Christ was condemned and crucified, they rejoiced and were glad. They thought that the hated reprover of their sins and false teaching was silenced forever. It is not to the careless and the wicked of our day, we may be sure. The longer Christ keeps away from this earth and lets them alone, the better will they be pleased. We do not want this Christ to reign over us, is the feeling of the world. His absence causes them no pain. Their so-called happiness is complete without him. All this may sound very painful and startling, but where is the thinking reader of the Bible who can deny that it is true? The world does not want Christ back again, and thinks that it does very well without him. What a fearful waking up there will be by and by. We learn, for another thing, from this verse, that Christ's personal return shall be a source of boundless joy to his believing people. It is written, I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Once more we must take care that we do not narrow the meaning of these words by tying them down to our Lord's resurrection. They surely reach much farther than this. The joy of the disciples when they saw Christ risen from the dead was a joy soon obscured by his ascension and withdrawal into heaven. The true joy, the perfect joy, the joy that can never be taken away, will be the joy which Christ's people will feel when Christ returns the second time, at the end of the world. The second personal advent of Christ, to speak plainly, is the one grand object on which our Lord, both here and elsewhere, teaches all believers to fix their eyes. We ought to be always looking for and loving his appearing as the perfection of our happiness and the consummation of all our hopes. Second Peter chapter three verse twelve, second Timothy chapter four verse eight. That same Jesus, who was taken up visibly into heaven, shall also come again visibly, even as he went. Let the eyes of our faith always be fixed on this coming. It is not enough that we look backward to the cross and rejoice in Christ dying for our sins, and upwards to the right hand of God, and rejoice in Christ interceding for every believer, we must do more than this. We must look forward to Christ's return from heaven to bless his people, and to wind up the work of redemption. Then, and then only, will the prayer of eighteen centuries receive its complete answer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well may our Lord say that in that day of resurrection and reunion our hearts shall rejoice. When we awake up after his likeness we shall be satisfied. Psalm 17, verse 15 We can learn, lastly, in these verses, that while Christ is absent, believers must ask much in prayer. It is written, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. We may well believe that up to this time the disciples had never realized their master's full dignity. They had certainly never understood that he was the one mediator between God and man, in whose name and for whose sake they were to put up their prayers. Here they are distinctly told that henceforward they are to ask in his name. Nor can we doubt that our Lord would have all his people, in every age, 
understand that the secret of comfort during his absence is to be instant in prayer he would have us know that if we cannot see him with our bodily eyes any longer we can talk with him and through him have special access to god ask and ye shall receive he proclaims to all his people in every age and your joy shall be full let the lesson sink down deeply into our hearts of all the list of christian duties there is none to which there is such abounding encouragement as prayer it is a duty which concerns all high and low rich and poor learned and unlearned all must pray it is a duty for which all are accountable all cannot read or hear or sing but all who have the spirit of adoption can pray above all it is a duty in which everything depends on the heart and motive within our words may be feeble and ill-chosen and our language broken and ungrammatical and unworthy to be written down but if the heart be right it matters not he that sits in heaven can spell out the meaning of every petition sent up in the name of jesus and can make the asker know and feel that he receives if we know these things happy are we if we do them let prayer in the name of jesus be a daily habit with us every morning and evening of our lives keeping up that habit we shall find strength for duty comfort in trouble guidance in perplexity hope in sickness and support in death faithful is he that promised your joy shall be full and he will keep his word if we ask in prayer notes john chapter 16 verses 16 to 24 verse 16 a little while and ye shall etc there is a difficulty in this verse which requires consideration to what time does our lord refer when he says a little while and ye shall not see me and ye shall see me there are two answers a some think as chrysostom searle and hengstenberg that our lord only meant in a few hours i shall be removed by death and buried and then you will not see me and again after three days i shall rise again and then you will see me b others think as augustine maldonatus and wordsworth that our lord meant in a short time i shall leave the world ascend up to heaven and go to my father and you will see me no more and again in comparatively short time i shall return to the world at my second advent and you will see me again i decidedly prefer the second of these interpretations to explain the words ye shall not see me and ye shall see me by our lord's death and resurrection seems to me a forced and unnatural interpretation moreover it completely fails to explain the words i go to the father both here and all through the passage i believe our lord is speaking for the benefit of the whole church until his coming again and not merely for the benefit of the eleven apostles the true sense is best seen by inverting the order of the words the time has arrived when i must leave the world and go back again to my father the consequence is that in a little time you will no longer see me with your bodily eyes for i shall be in heaven and you on earth but take comfort in a little time i shall return again with power and great glory and then you and all my believing people will see me again it is worth notice in support of the view i maintain that the expression in greek a little while is almost the same as in hebrews chapter 10 verse 37 when the second advent is clearly spoken of moreover the expression i go is distinctly applied in several places to our lord's final departure from the world and seldom if ever to our lord's death on the cross alfred thinks his meaning is manifold and says ye shall see me 
began to be fulfilled at the resurrection then received its main fulfillment at pentecost and shall have its final fulfillment at the return of our lord this strikes me as a very untenable view it is curious that the first ye shall see is in the present tense and is an entirely different word to the second which is a future the first word would be rendered literally ye behold or gaze upon me verse seventeen then said some etc this whole verse shows how little the disciples realized or understood our lord's meaning at present when he spoke of his second advent yet when we consider how widely different are the meanings put on our lord's words by christians in this day we can hardly feel surprised that eleven weak believers like the apostles could not take in the full sense of the words when they first heard them the night before his crucifixion verse eighteen they said therefore little while this sentence shows that it was the time mentioned a little while which perplexed the disciples we may conjecture that they could not make out whether it meant literally a few days or hours or figuratively a comparatively short time and is not this precisely the point on which all students of unfulfilled prophecy disagree the verse before us is curiously applicable to many a prophetical controversy we cannot tell saith the words would be more literally rendered we do not know what he is speaking of verse nineteen now jesus knew ask him here as in other places our lord's perfect knowledge of the hearts and thoughts of all around him is pointed out the word ask we should carefully note is literally to ask questions about a thing it is the same word that is used in verse twenty three at that day ye shall ask me nothing and said etc the word rendered do you inquire among yourselves of that could be more literally concerning this do you seek with each other verse twenty verily say unto you it should be observed in this verse that our lord gives no reply to the inquiry of the disciples he does not tell them what he meant by saying a little while questions about times and dates are rarely answered in scripture our attention is rather turned to practical things ye shall weep and lament etc i believe with augustine and bede that the whole verse is meant to be a general description of the state of things between the first and second advents of christ during my absence from the world after my ascension you my beloved disciples and believers after you shall have many reasons to lament and mourn like a bride separate from her husband while the wicked world around you shall rejoice in my absence and not wish to see me return during this long weary interval you and all believers after you shall often have sorrow and tribulation but at last when i come again your sorrow shall be turned into joy in support of this view i advise the reader to study matthew chapter nine verse fifteen the idea in each place seems the same compare also isaiah chapter sixty five verse fourteen poole remarks the time of this life is the worldling's hour while it is for the most part the power of darkness to all who love and fear god but as the worldling's joy shall at last be turned to sorrow so the godly man's sorrow shall be turned into joy isaiah chapter fifty verse eleven matthew chapter twenty five verse twenty three the interpretation of chrysostom cyril and others which makes the whole verse fulfilled by the crucifixion and resurrection of our lord appears to me very unsatisfactory 
it hardly affords time for the weeping and rejoicing which is here described nor is it quite clear that the day during which our lord lay in the grave was a day of rejoicing to his enemies if we may judge their anxiety to prevent if possible his resurrection from the dead verse twenty one a woman etc this verse is an illustration of the whole state of the church between the first and second advents of christ it was to be a time of pain anxiety and desire for deliverance from which the only cessation would be at the personal return of christ we are distinctly told in romans chapter eight verse twenty two that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now it is the normal state of things while christ is absent the second coming of the second adam can alone restore joy to the world the church in Revelation chapter 7 verse 2 is compared to a woman travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. The wars and disturbances of the world are called in Matthew chapter 24 verse 8 the beginning of sorrows, and the word sorrows there means literally the pains of a travailing woman. The whole idea of the verse seems to be that the interval between Christ's first and second advent will be, to the church, a period of pain, sorrow, and anxiety like the state of a woman expecting her delivery, that the end of this period will be the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ the second time, and that when our Lord does come the second time, the joy of the true church will be so great that the former sorrow and tribulation will be comparatively forgotten. The joy of seeing Christ will swallow up the afflictions of his absence. Compare Romans chapter 8 verses 18 to 22, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17. Verse 22. And ye now therefore, etc. I apply to this verse the same principle of interpretation that I have applied to the preceding ones. I think our Lord is speaking of the sorrow and pain which believers would feel during the interval between his first and second advent. You are now entering on a period of pain, sorrow, and tribulation. But fear not. It shall not be for ever. I will return and see you again. In that day your heart shall be filled and satisfied with joy, a joy which no one can ever take from you, a joy which shall be for ever. I cannot bring myself to believe that this see you again can possibly refer to the short period of forty days between the resurrection and the ascension. Above all, I feel strongly that the words, Your joy no man taketh from you, could certainly not be applied to the times of trouble and tribulation and persecution even unto death, which the primitive church passed through in the beginning of its existence. The sensible joy of the primitive church beyond doubt was often taken away as when stephen was martyred james slain with the sword and peter put in prison the second coming of christ is the only time of universal and unbroken joy to which believers can look forward now we are in the wilderness and our sorrowless home is yet to be reached then and then only will tears be wiped from all eyes verse twenty three and in that day ask nothing. In the first part of this verse, I believe, with Augustine, that the day spoken of is the day of our Lord's second advent. The asking is asking questions or making inquiries such as the disciples had wanted to make in verse 19. They were desirous to ask him. The Greek word is the same, and quite different from the word rendered ask in the later part of this verse. The meaning of the sentence is, in the day of my second advent you will not need to ask me any questions. You will then fully understand the meaning of many things which you do not understand now. 
the far superior light which believers will enjoy in the day of christ's second coming is the chief point of the promise as in first corinthians chapter thirteen verse twelve cyril and chrysostom however apply that day to our lord's resurrection and the forty days following it verily verily whatsoever ask give you in this portion of the verse our lord renews and repeats his former promise about prayer until that day when i come again i solemnly declare that whatsoever things you shall ask in prayer from the father in my name he will give them to you the word ask in the greek in the latter part of this verse is entirely different from the word rendered ask in the former part here it signifies seeking or petitioning in prayer there it meant asking questions it is worth noticing here how very frequent and full are the encouragements to pray which our lord holds out in the gospels the whatsoever of the text must of course be limited to whatsoever things are really for god's glory the disciples good and the interests of christ's cause in the world verse twenty four hitherto nothing in my name this sentence means that up to this time the disciples had not prayed for anything through the name and mediation of christ they had followed him as a teacher looked up to him as a master loved him as a friend believed him as the messiah predicted by the prophets but they had not fully realized that he was the one mediator between god and man through whom alone god's mercy could come down to sinners and sinful creatures could draw near to god they were now to learn that their master was one far higher than any prophet yea even than moses himself daniel's prayer shine on thy sanctuary for the lord's sake is almost the only instance of a prayer in messiah's name in the old testament daniel chapter nine verse seventeen ask receive joy full this sentence means from henceforth begin the practice of asking everything in my name and through my mediation ask fully and confidently and you shall receive fully and abundantly so asking you shall find the joy and comfort of your own souls enlarged and filled up john gerhard here remarks the benefit of prayer is so great that it cannot be expressed prayer is the dove which when sent out returns again bringing with it the olive leaf namely peace of heart prayer is the golden chain which god holds fast and lets not go until he blesses prayer is the moses's rod which brings forth the water of consolation out of the rock of salvation prayer is samson's jawbone which smites down our enemies prayer is david's harp before which the evil spirit flies prayer is the key to heaven's treasures the greek word rendered full means literally filled up being the perfect participle of the verb to fill or fulfill the sentence teaches us that the joy and happiness of believers admit of degrees and may be fuller at one time than at another it also teaches that the joy of a believer depends much on his fervency and earnestness in prayer he that prays little and coldly must not expect to know much of joy and peace in believing we should not fail to observe how prayer is set before believers here as a plain duty in the imperative mood and also how desirous our lord is that his people should be rejoicing christians even now in the midst of a bad world that religion which makes people melancholy and miserable and wretched looking is a very low type of christianity and far below the standard of him who wished joy to be full compare first john chapter one verse four 
End of section 19.